Hey everyone, Asim here. Carbon Hack is back this year. The hackathon will take place from Monday, March the 18th to Monday, April the 8th, 2024. Carbon Hack 24 is all about redefining the way we measure software to reduce its environmental footprint. At the heart of this hackathon is Impact Framework, an open source tool that lets you compute and report the environmental impacts of software applications accurately. Here's the challenge. In small teams, participants will have the freedom to choose from a variety of prize categories. So how can you become part of Carbon Hack 24? It's as simple as signing up on our website at grnsft.org forward slash hack forward slash podcast. Join us for three weeks of exciting challenges where engineers, designers, and content creators will use Impact Framework to measure software's environmental footprint. We can't wait to see what innovations and solutions emerge from this incredible event. See you there. You need to be shifting it so that people think, how efficient is this? And demanding it. I think our power as developers is not to do stuff. It's to demand stuff of the people we are buying things from. Hello and welcome to Environment Variables, brought to you by the Green Software Foundation. In each episode, we discuss the latest news and events surrounding green software. On our show, you can expect candid conversations with top experts in their field who have a passion for how to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of software. I'm your host, Asim Hussain. So welcome to Environment Variables. My name is Asim Hussain. I am the uh, Executive Director and Chairperson of the Green Software Foundation. And I am Anne Curry. I'm a tech ethicist at a long-term veteran tech technologist. I'm a tech ethicist at Container Solutions, which is a member of the Green Software Foundation. Uh, I'm a lecturer in tech ethics at the University of Hertfordshire, and I am a serial startup founder. Never again. So I'm a serial startup uh, a failure, which is... Uh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I think, but I will... This is, I think maybe this is an interesting direction to go into the, into the topic. Because the topic I want to talk about today was how do you make change inside an organization? Or more specifically, how do you make changes related to green software, the greening of our field? You know, and how do you have those conversations inside organizations? And actually, one of the things I have, because I've had some success, not a lot, not a lot, not a lot of success, but some success inside the main organization I've worked in while I've kind of grown to space, which is Microsoft, and I often wonder whether the success I've had is linked to all of my startup failures, all the failures I've had. Because <laughs> what is a startup other than trying to convince somebody of something, mm. you know, and, and, and on, the, on the most uh, literally buying into your idea is, is what a startup is. Is that how is that how you see it? Do you see similarities? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, and, and it's and not just slightly buying in, really buying in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always say like you you need to like you really need to care. I, when this, we're going off on tangent, but I always say you, you, for to be successful in the startup, you need to give a uh, a poop about five dollars, and that is because you need to you need to get somebody to give you five dollars, and that you need to care so much about the first relatively small amount you're going to get 
you need to put so much energy into it that you need to, which is why if, 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 if you're reasonably successful already, it can be quite difficult doing a startup because you're like, I don't really care about the first $5. Um, I want the billion. But yeah, because like, I, I, I remember, let me describe, like, what, would you describe you had some, some successes inside the organizations you worked in, 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 or even not even in the organization, but generally regarding spreading the word of green software? Well, actually, for me, green software is a relatively recent thing. I've been I've been pushing it for in in my career. I've been pushing efficient software for a long time, and I got I, I started down this route based on pushing software efficiency, and I found that it really doesn't sell at all. It's, <laughs> so I, I really thought, well, if I can sell people on cutting costs, then who doesn't want? You know, it's, cutting costs is always on people's list of things they want to do. But what I realized was, unless it's the number one thing that, on their list, they, they'll be they'll take the meetings with you, they'll talk to you, but fundamentally, what they'll actually want you to try to do is solve the problem which is at the top of their list, yes. which for development organizations is always developer productivity. Yes, yeah. That's, and the machine productivity will or, and cost is always secondary to solving their developer productivity. So you go in trying to sell them on efficiency, and what they actually want you to do is to increase the is increase the developer productivity of their teams. And I, and I had to change the message, and and, and I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit. I'll have to talk about how I changed the yeah. green message to align it with that. So I had, I had a bit of an epiphany. I was, because I, I used to do a lot of talking about developer efficiency, efficiency of, uh, of containers, mm. Docker containers and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I was giving a, a, a talk at a, a conference, HashCorp EU, about that. And the person who was immediately before me was Mitchell Hashimoto, who was the, the, who is the, the, the founder of, of HashCorp. Mm. And HashCorp had done fantastic work around nomad, their nomad scheduler about mm. increasing the efficiency of hosting applications. Mm. And my talk was all about increasing efficiency. His talk was all about how no one could sell increasing efficiency because all anybody cared about was developer efficiency. And right. they didn't care how much it cost to make the lives for their developers simpler. Mm. So they were they were having they were basing everything off that. And I thought, yeah, I really need to change my message here. Because he was quite right that it is, it is all that anybody cares about. Is it, it I think, and I just didn't sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's because we 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 cost too much. I, I talk about this. We're very if if you to look at the cost of the cloud workload infrastructure, and it can be quite significant, I will admit, but the cost of your developers. And also the opportunity cost of your developers. I think you, you, it's not just the cost of your developers, but the, like if they weren't there and they weren't doing what they're doing, your your competitors are doing something and that might. So there's a whole fearful thing that you just got to deliver as fast as possible. You've got to be in the market first. And that, that drives a lot of the investment. Yeah, absolutely. It does. People want developers to move fast. And, and you know, I've, I've run development teams in the past mm. and hiring developers is really, really hard. Mm. It's hard to get them and it's hard to get ones that are not going to be a disaster when they appear. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody wants anybody to leave. No one wants everybody. No one, no one wants to, everyone's desperate to hire people, mm. but, and they want to just get the most out of them when they're in. They do not want them to spend any time on anything else unless they have to. Yeah. So how do so how have you changed? Have have you managed to change the narrative somewhat to support kind of greening of software systems? Like, what, what arguments have worked for you? 
Well, because I, I started, I'll tell you what didn't work for me. So I started <laughs> describing efficiency improvements and things like, because I, my, I'm quite old and I, I used to work on back-end servers in the 90s and everything was written in C and uh, exchange and things like that, which, which are a hundred times more efficient than, mo- than modern equivalents often, usually, in fact. So, you know, it, it was... It, it, there's so much efficiency to be gained by just right, using a more lightweight language. I mean, you know, if you use C, you could use Rust or whatever. But that landed appallingly. People, developers went, oh, yeah, that's true. But they'd never be able to get sign-off on it because it's too expensive and it slows what slows them down. Those languages are, are very inefficient for developers unless they're absolutely necessary. So unless you're writing something that's super high performance and therefore has to run at crazy speeds, mm. everybody's just going to go... It, Look, let it run more slowly, let me pay for more hosting, let me burn more carbon in the atmosphere, and and I'll have it in Python. Thank you very much. But I'd also argue that, I mean, it's not always the language that dictates how efficient or inefficient the code is. Mm. Oftentimes, I mean, you can write extremely inefficient code in C, and you can write extra- shockingly efficient code in JavaScript. People always make fun of JavaScript. You can write incredibly, if you, if you, if you understand the language really well. I think you need to be good at what you do. But what I always surprised me was that it doesn't really matter because <laughs> at the end of the day, all that matters, you, you people are happy to ship inefficient, poor quality code that delivers on the functionality to whatever agreement that is required to, to meet the business goals. Yeah. I, I agree. I and mean, that's all that people care about is shipping quickly and that it basically works. That's a yes. So I changed my uh, pitch a little bit to, well, how can, I, how can we go to something more systemic? So rather than have developers tune their code and uh, make it all efficient and super and amazing, can we put pressure on somebody else who is making that code to bake it super efficient? So specialists. So that, that, and there are two, two parts, there are two, two players there. You've got the hyper cloud providers who are providing services, can you make their hosting efficient and can you make their services efficient and can you make them offer more services that are green and efficient? Uh, And then the second thing is, can you make open source projects start to really target carbon efficiency and offer those carbon aware features and things like that? Now, I haven't really looked at it. At the time, I went full helpful leather on cloud, but we also, I think, need to start working on on the the open source side of things. I mean, I'm constantly reminded that how much open source is actually used in every single project. I mean, the GitHub team tell me that it's about 90% of an enterprise stack is open source. And actually some of the things that they've mentioned to me in the past also is is hotspots. Like there are, I mean, if you're in the organization, I think actually you you can navigate the public database of GitHub, you know, open source projects. And there are like a few key libraries that are used everywhere. You know, if you look there, so those are the hotspots. And any improvements in code efficiency, which is not something I'd necessarily like to talk about, but any, that, that, those are the places where you probably should put effort into code efficiency because the impact is magnified so many times from an open source perspective. Yeah, I mean, yeah. things like service meshes. If you're, if you're running Kubernetes, the service mesh runs all the time and it is, it's on demand. And it's often horrendous. It's like, you know, mining Bitcoin on your... Really? Um, applications. It's absolutely yeah. horrendous. Yeah. So there are some coming on the market that are more efficient. But at the moment, 
it's not necessarily the key selling point of this. Yes. Like, I think yeah. we need to be shifting it so that people think, how efficient is this? And, it, and demanding it. But I think our power as developers is not to do stuff. It's to demand stuff of the people we are buying things from. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Using our purchasing power to for, for the good. But isn't isn't because that, that that has been my experience kind of throughout throughout this whole you know that this whole process isn't it? You might you might get some buy-in if you're talking to your leadership, you're talking to different organisations. You might get some buy-in, but I always describe it as grace and favour. It's through the grace and favour of a leader who sacrifices some sort of perform or some sort of metric that they are being heavily measured upon to just well let's give sustainability go. This is important to me. The number of Senior leaders who've mentioned to me that their children saying things to them at the dinner table is what has driven them. I mean, I think that is, I, I've heard of that statement before, but I, I really believe it now. It's kind of, there's, a, there's an aspect of that. But it's through grace and favor. And you might get, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. You might get a project kickstarted. You might be able to do some research or something along those lines, but it will not scale. It just yeah. will not scale to any, to any large. And until you can align what you're offering to what they're getting measured upon and i think that's really what they are getting measured upon is the challenge and no one is currently significantly getting measured against sustainability if it was i think so i think some of the, some of the conversation we're having would be very very different mm. you know my suspicion is that i mean i it's not like I love the cloud providers. You, you're more of a... <laughs> <laughs> I, I should be more in that. Um, I, I don't love the cloud providers, but I think they are a soft target on this yeah. in that if you, you know, it kind of is aligned with people. If you say it will make your life more easy if you use cloud services and the cloud services are green, mm. then you're kind of like you're selling, your life is more easy and also you get green for free. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking one of the sales in the future will be, I didn't know for people hate measuring things and mm. having to report. That's terrible. Everybody hates doing that. Yeah. So I suspect that being able to use cloud services where you can just say, oh, and give me a report. Here's the report. I didn't have to do anything. Is actually another USP <laughs> for cloud. <laughs> it is a USP, but I think interestingly it becomes, because then each cloud provider has to offer a, a different value proposition of their reporting. And then you get into like... Uh, just probably going to get in trouble saying this, but it'd be really, it'd be really convenient if every single cloud provider just gave the same report, yeah, know, the same data. That, but because there's no, there's no capability of then saying, well, our reports are better than the next person's reports, right? You don't because it's all constantly between the cloud providers. It's all about. I would say it's jokingly saying like that. There's so much more that is. You could say this argument for all of life, to be honest with you. But there's so much more that there's is commonality between us than is difference. Like the different, like you've got a piece of code, you need to run it on someone else's computer. It's pretty much the same between the Google, the Amazon, the Microsoft. It's all pretty much the same. We have, but we focus in on the, on the differences. Like what are the key difference differentiators between them? And I think this would just be one of the differentiators like reporting. It's just another thing that we're differentiating. There's very few areas where there's a lot of focus on on standardization. I can also see why they don't there. I mean, so I, I don't have any inside knowledge of any of these, but I remember hearing a stat that I found quite amusing about uh, Microsoft, that Microsoft now hires more lawyers than engineers. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you if that was true. 
I should probably also acknowledge it right at the start. My other affiliation is towards Microsoft. I don't think I, I think I would probably re-record the start maybe and kind of acknowledge that also. But yeah, my I'm also the Green Cloud Advocates leader at Microsoft. So I do have some insight into that. But I, no but I can see why if you were a lawyer, you'd, you would want to steer clear of standardization of reporting on the green side because then you, you introduce a liability, don't you? If you just say, oh, it's hand wavy about this, then you, you want to avoid someone coming up and saying, well, hang on a minute, I made all of these legally binding reports based on your, your thing. And actually, I've just compared it to, to Google and they say you're wrong. <laughs> but, if you're, but if you're always different, if what you're providing is always different to everybody else, you can always put an argument. There's always a spin on it where standardization forces you to the same level playing field where you have to then compete you know, on, on the same rules and you really do discover who's, who's better than the other. I think it's interesting. I think I do, I do, I mean, obviously there's many people inside an organization and everybody has their own, you know, motivations and it's not all the same and it's not just one voice all the time, but no one says they want standardization until the standardization happens and then they really want the standardization because then they then because then they're just finally on the same level playing field and then they can compete fairly but they have to be dragged into it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. which is why and i which way for me because i i spoke similar stuff i've been talking on so many levels to so many people inside organizations about green software i did have successes i called on grace and favor successes you know, you know, people who are willing to just put investment to, to, to something to see see how it goes. To the scale investments, no, I, I'd never really had any successes there. The first time I got the hint that this might not be the right direction or there might be a different direction was when I, we started talking about regulation. When there starts to be hints of regulation on the horizon. And one thing I realized, I mean, just the conversations, just the thread of regulation opens more doors than anything else. Like for instance, one of the things I'd learned early in my years at, at Microsoft was that you really do have to find customers. You can't just like be waving around going, hey, I'm really passionate about technology and I know my area. And, and you know, like if we were to build this feature, you know, I, I trust me, trust me, a lot of people would love it. It's like no one's paying attention. You've got to come in with like, I've got five customers. They all want this feature. This is how much money they want to spend if they get this feature. We should prioritize this. Let's get this prioritized. And because, okay, look, let's let's do this. That regulation surpassed that. Mm -hmm. Open the doors surpassing that. Fear. I, I used to work in investment banking. And one of the lessons I learned leaving investment banking was there's only two things people really care about. And that's fear, fear and greed. <laughs> but fear, I think, is greater than fear. Of regulation was greater mm -hmm. than the greed of, of, of money. So I think that's a direction that would really help us out a lot, is more regulation in this space. It would. It really would. I, I totally agree. Yeah, without it, life has been a lot more difficult. After me. I, I would say another technique, a technique that I used to use that, to some effect, not to, not to massive effect, but to some effect, given without we didn't have any regulation, apart from the threat, threat of regulation thing, is to find someone who is accidentally doing something really good, then write it up. Then talk to them and say, do you know you're doing this thing? It's really, really good. Let me write it up. It's an amazing thing you're doing. And then they would go, oh, yeah, we're doing this thing deliberately. <laughs> uh, and then they would and then you would and then you would they will talk at conferences about it. And they will say to that to everybody that this is something really care about. And they're doing because they're not they don't have to do any. There's no effort. They're already doing it. But so once they're already doing it, they'll talk up what they're doing. And, and then say, oh, this is something we, we care about massively and that's why we're doing it. But getting them to do it is just impossible. 
yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like some, someone who's already doing some work around or something that could that is more efficient or it does reduce carbon and i do i have that thoughts as well but then i like for instance for me I get into the whole realms and I get stuck in my head regarding these kind of moral and ethical questions. We all know tech ethics, so this is the perfect person to talk to. But um, like, this is going to be quite a tangential conversation, actually. Because then where is greenwashing? All right. Mm. Greenwashing is a really challenging concept for me to wrap my head around because I work in, you know, a large enterprise organization. And, you know, it's kind of everything that you do has multiple vectors inside it. Right. When someone's making a sustainability announcement, yes, there are people involved who care passionately about this space. There's also marketing people who, you know, they're getting measured on how many clicks and all this other stuff. So everybody's so there's this mixture of things that go into kind of announcements. Some of it is also just going to be like, well, we can make money out of this as well. Like there's all that aspect coming into it. But there's always always a set of core people who care passionately about this and then figure out, well, in order for this to be successful, we need to get marketing people interested in it. We need to get business people. We need to get the financial people in, 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 on our side. And so what I always say is that there has to be that, that initial intention. That's, I think, what greenwashing is, is, is when there's no initial intention to do good in the first place. For me, that's, that's what I define as greenwashing. But then again, other people have told me, Asim, there are companies that really are greenwashing and what you're you're on the other end of the whole spectrum to to what we really mean as greenwashing. But anyway, yeah, I I, I think that's very it's very hard to be active in this without constantly thinking about is what's the right thing to do when I wasn't. So the other thing I do is as I I write a series of science fiction novels. I'm just about to publish <laughs> book number seven, and the entire thing is is the, the question of what's the right thing to do. You know, are you a is it Kant? Is it is? Do you have to be truthful all the time, or is it Bentham? Is it utilitarian? If it if it comes out on to, on top, is it good? Even if the intentions were wrong, or if the intentions were right, but some of the the things that happened along the way, if you told a lie in order to make it happen, but it has a good effect. Is that right or is it wrong? It's very hard. <laughs> it is. It's really hard. I don't really have an answer. No, I don't, nobody has an answer. Yeah, but I suppose everybody has to have their own internal answers. So for me, myself, I'm like, I as long as the intention is, as long as my intention is good, I'm happy to speak to whoever I need to speak to and put whatever argument I need to spin on it to to make it happen. Is yeah. is is the way I kind of view it. But yeah. So you you're a follower of. Jeremy Bentham, utilitarianism. Is that, is that, is that, am I utilitarianism? Yeah, yeah, yeah you are. Not like Manuel Kant, truth at all costs. No, I'm not like an idealist <laughs> like that. No, 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 no. Failing whilst having a good feeling about myself <laughs> isn't, isn't, for me, is not, you know, so what? That's just, that's actually ego. That's like your own ego, you know, I, I would yeah. argue. Your ego shouldn't matter in any of this, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it is. It's not. I I I am also a utilitarian because I want it to happen. You know, yeah. and I'm, I'm. But at the same time, I can see the argument that mm. humans should be given all the information and allowed to make a free choice. But but the reality is that they don't have all the information and they can't yeah. make a free choice. So you know, it's what world do we live in? We live in a world where you're going to have to make an argument to your boss and you yeah. know cat. 
Immanuel Kant says so is not a sufficiently convincing argument. I think that's the end of the day is, is, is it's all about convincing people. That's it. And that's all that your life has ever been about. It's about convincing people. Yeah, anyway, back, back to topic, back to topic, back to topic. <laughs> so yeah, so one of the things I found was, 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 was regulation was one of the things that, I, that really seemed to open the doors. It didn't, I mean, until, until actual... I mean, some of the conversation I thought was that I thought was interesting was that there is there is a strong desire to to be ahead of regulation, not to just respond to it. So, so, so that there that is there, but I do think the world we just not quite there just doesn't seem to be any regulation that's just on the verge of like pushing for real change inside an organization. Yeah, I mean. What, what, I don't even know what some of that regulation would look like. I mean, a carbon tax would obviously be the main thing, or carbon price. Well, I mean, Spain Spain already have variable electricity pricing. So at times when there's a lot of the, the sun's shining and the wind's blowing, ele- electricity is one hell of a lot cheaper than at times when it isn't. So uh, that's I think that's quite likely to come at some point. But will it be enough to change? Well, if it, I think going back to the original point of developer velocity is if that's all there is... I mean, how much of, I mean, one of the key challenges that we have, you talk about, I talk about it is, you know, server utilization. I mean, if there's one, if there's one thing that you should work on inside an organization, which would have the biggest bang for your buck, it's increasing your server utilization because most workloads for most organizations are running at very low levels of utilization. But when you, and I, and I, and I initially thought that's just because I'd start having conversations with, you know, customers and people have low utilizations and i initially thought it was something along the lines of oh they just don't know <laughs> oh if i just if i just explain to them this is the situation did you know have you heard of auto scaling have you heard of auto scaling oh this is a wonderful thing a lot of scale your service but no like the reasons for they, there's many reasons for why they have chosen they've chosen that path like they're not they're not fools everybody knows what's going on they've said well we're willing to live with the added expense of having quite a lot of our machines idle because of X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z have almost always got to do with money. Yes, we could go auto-scaling. We could use all the, all the methodologies, but you know we've done it in the past and we lost three days worth of trading. And that, so it's just not really worth it for us. We'd rather like live with the risk. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which is why, again, I, I try to, to point people towards cloud managed services for that kind of stuff because it's just too hard you 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 don't have the skills in your team almost everybody wants to to go to zero ops these days so the the last thing they want to do is to give additional complexity to their ops teams but this is maybe this is where because you you and I have kind of have had quite a few conversations in the past about how to actually because this I think we're at the crux of the challenge that we have and I think we both agree this is this is it this is this this log that we're trying to move this this rock that we're trying to to roll one of the ways that I've spoken about this and I've thought about this is, is going bottom up. You know, uh, we need this to change. Maybe the solution is engaging with all of those, not just developers, the people who are in the business of building software, all those software teams, making it a priority for them so that it just kind of happens. Because some of my experience in the past in working in, 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 in engineering organizations is, you can always, if you want to try and get something done, you can usually go the, the official route, which is through the top and get it prioritized and like all that other stuff. Or you can just sideline, have a bunch of conversations with the actual people building and like, yeah, right, I'll just implement that tomorrow, you know, something along, along those lines. So there is like, 
There's a lot of stuff that actually gets done, I think, in the bottom-up approach. I think you have a more of a, a slightly different thinking on the topic. I don't know if you want to... Well, I, I would love to do it bottom-up. And I, and I do agree with you that, well, so there's been quite a lot of psychological thinking, organisational thinking about how do you make changes in organisations. And because a lot of it came from changing the finance industry, because it had to really change uh, after the after the big yeah. crash of yeah. 2008 and 2009. And they did loads and loads of psychological research and organisational psychological research. And what they found was that really, unless middle managers decided to do it, it all stopped. You know, they would stop it going up and they stop it going down, which is where I think the tech conferences are very good because they tend to be attended by people in the middle, managers, senior architects. If you can get them on board then that's all that's really required. Top down gets stopped by them, bottom up gets stopped by them. So tech conferences are a good a good place or or you know magazines the register has always traditionally been a bit a bit slow on pushing green mm. stuff so they're no use but that that kind of level of folk are probably the people that we, that if we can convince we can change things. But I mean if you look at Kubernetes that's a very bottom-up thing to do and I think you're yeah. crazy to implement Kubernetes it's unbelievably large amount of work <laughs> so it's crazy to implement Kubernetes yeah I think it's a oh, wow. huge amount of work I would go to a managed service any day of the week before Kubernetes oh I see what you're saying so like a managed Kubernetes kind of like containerized solution yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it doesn't stop people I've had people like I've walked into projects and I'm like you've, you've implemented what by yourself <laughs> Yeah. I know. Um, I mean, I can see why people used to. Anybody over a certain age has written their own orchestrator in the past. Well, it's fun, isn't it? It's like you start on a project, you're like, oh, this is unnecessary. If you want to have high performance, you know, if you want something to stay up, you had yeah. to write some kind of orchestrator to do that. But that's yeah, that's how projects work. Just so complicated. But is that maybe maybe that's what it's all about? Because maybe it's certain types of decisions need to go middle middle out. And certain types of decisions in this space need to go bottom up because you know what we're doing here is 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 wide. There's, there's a wide variety of things you can do. Like choice of technology, people think happens higher up inside an organization, and I don't think it happens higher up inside an organization at all. I think it happens right in the trenches. I always see that leaders rarely ever pick a technology which their team is not already comfortable using. In my experience, or there's usually a lot of resistance if they're not, if you're picking a different technology, a lot of resistance. So maybe some of the, maybe it's like some of the leveraging some of the open source technologies or some of the solutions, some of the more engineering type solutions should be bottom up. People can just pick them. We make them, make those choices easier for people. But what kind, what kind of areas could middle management help out with in this space? Just measuring prioritization of issues or where money goes? Well, things like whether you're going to move to the cloud or you're going to be on-prem. Yeah, okay. That's very much a middle management decision. That's not something that, that a young person is going to... That, that kind of level of change isn't isn't really yeah. going to happen. That's true. That's true. I, I get a lot of feedback from people who are kind of at the lower, early stages in their career. And their, their feedback to me oftentimes for a lot of advice has been, this is all great, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. Whereas middle management have more capability. Yeah, but, but I think you have an interesting point, which is that there are there are decisions, there are large scale decisions, there are middle management decisions, mm. which might be, okay, well, do you want actually, if you, do you want to start measuring this stuff? Do yeah. you want to move into the cloud? Do you want to adopt this new service? 
uh, at a large scale. Mm. At a large scale, but there are also the small level decisions like, well, given you're already in AWS or Azure, do you want to use this service or this service, or do you want to use this open source tool or this open source tool? Because that kind of thing you do have check, you do have control over. Just think about cloud. I think that's an easy one to think of. But yeah, one of them is like moving to the cloud. But I think it's not just moving to the, because there's two aspects of moving to the cloud. There's one, which is the cloud is some, maybe somewhat more efficient than where you are currently. And I'd say maybe, it may be somewhat more efficient than where you are depends currently. Depends what De- services you use. Depends what services you use, yeah. I think we're having some conversations about this previously, but I, I think the, the great thing about cloud is it allows you to architect your solutions in a way which increases your utilization. And I think that is kind of like the fundamental crux of moving to the cloud. If you're not on the cloud, if you're on your own private service, you there's no point doing auto-scaling because you just you have your own servers. What's the point? Yeah. You have to you have to deal with your own headroom. In the public cloud, yes, it's more efficient. And B, it gives you the, just the potential of 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 increasing utilization. But then it's moving to the managed services, and that's when the conversation gets very, very tricky. Because on, then you're starting talking about uh, vendor lock-in, yeah, uh, those kinds of things, yeah. And I've had conversations with with people, engineering people who are in engineering organizations in kind of cloud providers who like build those managed services, and they're like, look, they've told me, look, if if you want to be more efficient, you have to use vend- you know, vendor specific services because yeah. that they are. They are making it more like the, the the Microsoft service is incredibly efficient because the Microsoft engineers are building it for Microsoft platform and the Microsoft system. But that's a really, for the longest time, that was the hardest sell in in our space. Is like we are always trying to avoid locking. I I I think I would embrace I embrace locking. I think the only way you get efficiency is through locking. If you do lift and shift into the cloud, really, I can't see how you get any benefit from it whatsoever. I think I suspect much more expensive and not really any more efficient, <laughs> marginally more efficient. You have to use the services. Less efficient as well, yeah, because you're you're moving from one paradigm to another paradigm, and there are differences fundamentally in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the only thing that does is that once you have lifted and shifted, as you say, people are more likely to start carving off stuff and using the managed services. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of a, a gateway drug. Lift gateway and shift drug. is a gateway drug. Get into the cloud, <laughs> however you can get into the cloud. And then, and then, but then like, but then why? But then we back to that same challenge that we have, which is why, like, what are the motivating factors to to then implementing change i mean you know <laughs> well it used to be the big lie of lift and shift would save you a load of money the yeah. cloud was cheap <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then even once you're in there i think we, we need people to change and use more efficient services cost isn't a motivating factor by itself enough but i would say by far the most the most effective argument for getting people to use managed services is zero ops no ops that, that if you can say you could get rid of all of those, you know, you know all those people in ops that you really don't like. <laughs> <laughs> because I have to say, I mean, I, I say I love ops people. I yeah. love developers. I'm a. Developer. I love ops. Let's just make sure people. I, I love, love ops people. people. Yeah. 
but, but, but a lot of the rest of the business always found them quite challenging. <laughs> yeah. I actually started off my whole career in ops, actually, now that I think about oh, it. You? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Sysadmin. We were called Sysadmin. Oh, you're a very, very tall guy. People who are very tall tend to, I find that ops is full of people who are quite tall. I think probably because in the old days, you could lift machines around. Yeah. <laughs> Never found get any it, girls in ops. Because we all like, just went, I can't, even, mm, I can't lift this. I can't. Yeah. Those hard drives are so heavy. You know, just bringing them up from from four inches off the floor to eight inches. Oh, it was so hard. That's why there are no women in ops. That's not, there are women in ops before. Not the cloud they, enabled yeah. women to enter ops because there's nothing to lift. <laughs> it's literally lift and shift. In, 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 Indeed, in, yeah, it was in, literally in, lift, and lift and shift. But yeah, forgot what we we're talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What, how do you persuade people to manage services? I think it's yeah. it's really all about, look, you know, because you don't have to fire. So you might want to fire your ops people, but yeah. you don't have to fire your ops people. You can you can use them for develop for DevOps. You can use them in, in for your yeah. other projects and and whoever it is, Azure Managed Services or AWS Managed Services or Google Managed Services will do some of their work for them. And 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 that's really and then at the same time you need to push Google, Azure, and AWS to make those services more green so that at the same time you're pushing their developer productivity, by a backdoor you're also upping their green side of things. That was my kind of feel feel on it. Well you what you're really saying is you're upping the ops productivity by by dividing by a fewer number of numbers until you reach zero. <laughs> Which mathematically doesn't work, but anyway, but that's, that's what you're basically saying is is it's the same argument you're saying like we're going to increase your ops productivity, we're going to increase so you're increasing your developer velocity. Like if you use a managed service, you increase your developer velocity. So basically, it's 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 there seems to be one argument from our conversation, and it's the only argument that is of any importance ever in any developer situation, which is a developer productivity. Yeah. And I felt that, and I felt that because I, I felt, I remember in my early years of my career, I've been in this space about 20, 20 odd years now. Yes, it just, yeah, I, I graduated in the dot-com boom. So I was very lucky to get a job at the university. <laughs> I just think, you have a job, I'll take it. And I, I you know, even at that point, it'd be valuable to, to, to do things efficiently. Mm. Mm. And I and I remember, and there's been certain points throughout my career. It wasn't because it happened so slowly. It wasn't like one day suddenly over so slowly. I was like, it just doesn't seem to be that important that I write anything efficiently anymore. And then, you know, I started off in C plus plus, and it just got less and less and less important. And in fact, my early early career was doing what's now I don't know what you call it now. Is it grid? We call it grid computing, so high performance computing. So like being very, very like super efficient. Servers were still pretty expensive in those days. So mm. there was like it, it was worthwhile investing some time from an ASIM to make your code more efficient because the actual server costs would would like the amount you save on the servers would like be, be less than an ASIM. Yeah. But now, for some reason, it doesn't. It doesn't. That that equation doesn't doesn't relate anymore. Is it? I think a. You know, our costs have skyrocketed. You know, b. Cloud costs have gone down. But it's a Javon's paradox argument, isn't it? Cloud yeah. costs have gone down. And but also, I think that there's also this kind of opportunity costing, which is what is this? It's, it's triggering the fear. It's like we could spend we could spend an ass in making it more efficient, or we could spend an ass in building another feature to beat our competition. Yeah, and it's it's not just that I think it's that those those l- 
complex languages. Mm. They they were quite there was quite they were quite slow to develop in. Mm. And it just yeah, it, you, now everybody wants it, a small thing out 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 to see what happens and to be more iterative. And so Waterfall is dead. Waterfall used to work quite well with with yeah. C and C plus plus, and yeah, it, yeah. And, and nobody wants to do that anymore because but I, I the, you know the dirty secrets of <laughs> Agile is it is not more efficient than Waterfall. If you can if you can get Waterfall right, if yeah. you if you really have yeah. a clear idea about what you're developing, yeah. you can do it with quite a small number of engineers quite cheaply. It takes you a long time, and you don't get any iteration on there. So if if you were right first time, then great. If you got it wrong from the start, mm. you're screwed. <laughs> I think Agile like if with Waterfall, if you, yeah, if you if you know what you're doing. If you know what you want to build, it works. Agile is like, I don't really know. Mm. We're just responding to like requests. Like trying to do Agile when you don't have a bunch of customer requests coming in is, is doesn't really work, I don't think. Yeah. So we, we've been quite negative. <laughs> I think someone listening to this podcast might just like table flip and give up. I don't really know. Look, what are, what are the successes? That we've seen the huge success, and there was, and, and you and I both know that we did not necessarily see this coming. Mm. Was for the the big three cloud providers to all commit to carbon zero operations by 2030 in 2020, I, we, because we've been pushing. I'm sure we we've both been pushing for this for a long time, not really expecting it to happen, and then suddenly it happened, and that sets a, that sets a timeline for everybody. That says, look, 2030. I expect your 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 applications to be able to run carbon zero, which means something that that that, that we need to discuss. What does what does that mean? I mean does that mean that basically ninety percent of your CPU load is on carbon free electricity, and you can ten percent, maybe no more than that, mm. is running at times when it has to be on fossil fuels? I think my definition is a lot stricter, which means that it's 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 it and, and I. I don't know how they're gonna do it. My definition is like super strict, and and what I do know is like I I, I think you're absolutely right. Like they, they 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 that's been a wonderful success. The fact that the, the major cloud providers have not only committed to that, but also they provided the all now very very new, short order provided measurement tools, you know, yeah. which is very very impressive. What's interesting about that is that every to achieve that goal, every single year you need to make incremental improvements, and you know all the low hanging fruit is gone. <laughs> so like you know i won't say like pe- people are like really thinking extremely hard you know next year you know we, we committed to this what what do we need to do now to make that happen and the wonderful things about public commitments is that they're public <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like you're like i don't want to make it out i don't want to i don't want to say we failed yeah is a big driving driving factor for that so yeah so that's been a big success did, I mean, there was there was a really interesting paper from Google. Well, I know that you've read this paper, the paper from Google in mm. June last year, saying, "Okay, how the hell are we going to do this?" But they're saying we can, they can know how to do it on their own workloads. They reckon they can do it on their own workloads by introducing more time shifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the public cloud, because it's all black boxes to them. But then, really, that what you're saying then is you need instance types that mean things that aren't aren't that things aren't black boxes anymore. So, so it, price signals. Yeah. It, yes. Exactly. So spot instances, it, instances with some degree of SLA, which is not quite as as on demand as you know as 
get rid of those on-demand servers and the lift and shift and move everything over towards containers with a, look, you know, I'll, ru- I'll run it within 10 minutes, but I'm not going to run it within 10 seconds. Yeah. But they also have to like, because I mean, for, for a net zero target, by 2050, they have to have eliminated 90% of the emissions. And that's in a world where we've probably quadrupled 10 times grown by 2020, 2050. And so that kind of like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. S- setting those kinds of targets is is really, really important. And I, and I was going to say, like, one of the things that I've seen successes internally is as, as soon as as soon as your organization sets a target, that helps you in proposing pre- pre-target. Why would they need, it's all grace and favor. Once yeah. you've got a target, then you can say, well, hey, you know, you that target you set that you're starting to lose a little bit of hair over because you're going to like have to, well, if we were to do X, it could maybe meet 0.2% of your target, whatever, you know, and if enough people do that, that's enough. So I think that's kind of, you're right, that companies setting targets is one of the big things, is one of the big things. And, and, and I think that's one of the first steps. If, you, if, you're, if you work in an organization that hasn't set a target, forget about trying to push any green software work. Your, your first job is to, is to advocate internally and do what you need to do to get your company to set a target. Yeah. yeah. And, and set a target for a long enough distance in the future that all the executives think they'll have left by then. <laughs> <laughs> because they, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. No, they might be around. That's where middle managers go, oh, I'm going to still intend to be here in 10 years. So I'm going to have to meet that target. That's why middle managers stop things happening. Oh, to- I love, I just, I just, I just got your point because if they're going to be leaving, then they're willing to set a target that someone else has to meet. <laughs> they yeah, get yeah, all yeah. the of setting the target without yeah, any of yeah. the pain of meeting the target. It's like, uh, it's like uh, musical chairs. Like whoever's, mm. which, who, who's the CEO left at the table when they've got to get to, get to zero. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, I think, I think those, those bold aggressive targets and kind of any, any internal advocacy you can get to kind of push those targets upwards is 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 one of the big thing big successes i think like well i I have seen a lot of i have seen a big sea change since january last year uh big change in the number of people customers people just just asking about this question which is like hey i've got this software like what do i do to make it greener like just asking that question is mm-hmm. is has been coming up a lot and that's going to, that's one of the things you know we we've been trying to do in the foundation is just try and get some answers together for that you know what is the advice that people have for that so i i i am incredibly enthused over the last cuz i've been in the space for quite a few years as well and the first couple of years i was like oh, what what do i have to do the last the last year has been very very exciting because of all the other you know it felt like vindicated and validated a lot of other people who care about this and asking those right questions so there's been a lot of interest in that space I just don't think we have a lot of great answers yet so it's around. an interesting one so in some ways we don't want to answer those questions because we want people to ask those questions of their providers uh, yeah. so that they know that there is interest we want people to be saying how do I do this how where is my green region how do, what's your st- your plan for making the region I'm already hosting in green. But then they're all going, but then everybody's joining the foundation and going, well, now, let, now let's figure out the answer to these questions. So I think that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's what's on us. And I think kind of one of the things I, I've found, one of the most impactful things that I've personally done, and I, you've done it as well, and a lot of people have done it, is, is just 
talking about this stuff is educating teaching training making people aware of it making people aware. i remember i was speaking at a conference i won't say where i was speaking at a conference last late last year and it was it wasn't like a tech conference it was more general purpose sustainability conference and there were a bunch of people giving talks and, and i gave my talk and the feedback i got afterwards is people coming up to me going wow you know you're the first person who's talking about solutions everybody else was talking about you know oh we're, we're we're all death destruction it's all doom the problem's much worse than we think and i'm like well i, I don't have time for that that anymore it's this I've, I've heard it all before what are the solutions like what are the things and i think that's kind of where we are we're in that even what you just described right now like we're talking to cloud providers that's one solution and we're, we're now we're kind of talking about other ones like finding other solutions and, and just talking about it mm. yeah yeah. yeah, they all know, decide. People have to know, they have to decide to uh, to act and they have to act. So, you know, we, we, we're making sure they know, but we also have to pitch the no in a way that they will decide to act. So if you say, oh, you need to know about this, it's going to cost you a fortune and it's going to reduce your developer productivity, they will not decide to act. So you need to frame it in a way that they'll go, okay, well, that sounds doable. I, I could decide to act on that. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. that's the, ne- that, the thing is, how do we... How do we make it so that it doesn't acting doesn't immediately blow away all they're actually that think the metrics that they're actually already measured on? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that might be how we how we end this podcast <laughs> with like a, with like a, a question uh, rather than an answer. But yeah, that's been a really really fun chat, I should say. Anne, I hope I don't know if it's, I don't know how useful this this conversation is to other people, but I found out a lot of fun talking to you. That was, I was, I think that was good. I think it was good. Wonderful. (laughs) So thanks for listening to Environment Variables. All the resources for this podcast, including links to our guests and more about, well, the topics that we discussed, as well as the Green Software Foundation, are in the show description below. We hope you enjoyed the show and see you on the next one. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Environment Variables on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do leave a rating and review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. To find out more about the Green Software Foundation, please visit greensoftware.foundation. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.